Welcome to A Nursing State of Mind. In this podcast series, nurses Linda Groh, who is CEO and Executive Director of AORN, and Dr. Phyllis Quinlan, a coach who specializes in the emotional well-being of nurses, sit down for conversations that reflect on nurse experiences during COVID-19. Their insights will help you strengthen your self-awareness and help you continue providing care with confidence, pride, and satisfaction. Hello, I'm Linda Groh, CEO and Executive Director of the Association of Perioperative Registered Nurses. While this podcast is produced by AORN, this series is for all nurses in every practice area. I'm with Dr. Phyllis Quinlan, a self-care and healing coach who specializes in the emotional well-being of nurses. She's the author of several books, including Rediscovering the Joy of Being a Nurse, a Holistic Approach to Compassion Fatigue. Our topic today is who is on your team. Dr. Phyllis, I have some real concerns about the long-term effects of our nurses' response to COVID-19. It's estimated that 89% have experienced or are experiencing social isolation. My colleagues have a history of experiencing high levels of trauma, secondary or vicarious trauma, and unprocessed grief and loss in the months following a crisis. The leading response to emotional distress among providers seems to be isolation, and I know that can only exacerbate their feelings. We are all struggling with this. Is it possible to be fully connected when our world seems so disconnected? That's that's an amazing question, Linda. You know, and as far as your your reference to our propensity to isolate as opposed to engage, you know, this is a very real and very disconcerting fact. It's it's one of the more unfortunate consequences related to our judgment around showing our feelings and the fear of being labeled. Um, that's associated with showing our feelings. So you and I both know, and we've seen it firsthand, um, and I know I'm inclined to become more introverted when the work seems overwhelming and I don't have all the answers. Why do we isolate at a time when we need each other so much? It is a dichotomy, right? Um, Because nurses are courageous enough to live our lives hard open, we're at risk for all of this. Uh, We feel all the joys intensely, but because living your life hard open is an all or nothing decision, you know, there's no filter. Uh, We feel all of the pain intensely as well. Uh, Many times those that are not comfortable with feelings label others as too sensitive or not made of the right stuff when in fact, The ability to feel and express your feelings is the foundation of building compassion. So, but but isn't it appropriate response to turn on uh, my professional objectivity and to manage my way through uncomfortable times, to be stoic and, and to really play the role? You know, I've heard it said that nurses are frequently smiling on the outside while they're coping with emotions or crying on the inside. Wow, that is so true. So in, to answer your, your question about professional objectivity, 
The answer is yes. You know, if those uncomfortable times are related to clinical situations, when you and I taught professional objectivity, which is really distancing yourself from your feelings so that you can render care during difficult times, it was never intended to be a life lesson in how to navigate your life. So I think what you're saying is that we can't always separate our professional from our personal lives. Um, but tell me more about how I can cope with that. So I, I think we really need to say out loud, Linda, that isolation is the most maladaptive coping mechanism there is for a professional caregiver. We are by definition people who need people. Uh, our nurses depend on a culture that supports us as human beings and supports our needs to you know, process human feelings. Um, it's, it's important to understand if the isolation that the nurse is experiencing is self-imposed or is it being imposed by others who are uncomfortable? That's a really good question and one that, that I have pondered frequently. Um, so what does a healthy nurse culture look like in a facility? We're all experienced positive settings and negative settings. How would you describe the difference? Well, you know, I, I think we've come to a time where, you know, we are, we are so ingrained in putting the patient at the, the center of everything, that we're so patient focused. And I, I, I think that is something that's now on our DNA. And I, I, I really think we have to expand our view to include being staff focused. A healthy work setting rests heavily on the shoulders of our leaders. All right, a new, our new reality around repeated exposures to violence, patient trauma, the, the possibility of an active shooter, and now the threat posed by a pandemic really does bring up the whole idea and necessitates a new set of leadership competencies. So Linda, I, I put to you that these competencies really need to be focused on, well, number one, self-awareness for the leader um, so, you know, that person has a good understanding of how and, you know, what they're feeling and, and, and how those feelings are working inside of them. They, leaders now need to be able to include in their purposeful rounding of, you know, staff, excuse me, of patients and families, they need to weave in purposeful rounding of their staff. So they need to understand the signs and symptoms of staff behaviors associated with mounting unrelenting stress. Uh, we, need a, we need a lot more training on the compassionate management of these situations and how to escalate them effectively so that the staff member can access services that they need to restore and maintain their resilience. You know, it's, it's also important if organizations have a rapid response team for the staff. Uh, these teams are often referred to as code lavender teams. Uh, the focus of these teams is to help the staff unpack their feelings in real time. Um, they go a long way into creating an atmosphere where leaning into your feelings is actually accepted and encouraged with the whole idea of building your resilience and maintaining mental health. Um, these teams are often, you know, interprofessional. They're made up of social workers, chaplains, coaches, and trained volunteers who are dedicated to support their fellow caregiver providers. Um, and they all want to help ensure that the staff member is offered the same support and compassion that's offered to the families and the patients. Thank you, Dr. Phyllis. You've just given 
us a great blueprint for leadership in times of crisis. What ideas do you have for the individual who wants to self-isolate, but doesn't have the facility and leadership support that you've described? Yeah, this is this is a tough one, Linda, because, you know, I would love to believe in a culture that we're, you know, we're going to move away from being so judgmental about feelings and expression of feelings to where we have a culture more ingrained in peer support. But if that doesn't exist, I, I have to believe that this professional caregiver has some support systems friends, families, perhaps other colleagues, not necessarily working at their organization, but they worked with before, people they went to school with. And I would probably say that that isolation from that support group would start to raise some alarms with those, with those folks. So I would ask the, the nurse that is engaging in self-isolating behavior to really listen to the friends and family's concerns, um, seek support outside of work, um, in fact, I would just love for you to start talking to anyone who would listen. And talking is really one of the ways to untie a lot of these emotional knots. I, I would encourage every, you know, anyone who's choosing isolation, again, a maladaptive form of coping, to resist engaging in any self-sabotaging behaviors like overeating, maybe not taking care of their, you know, adhering to a, um, a medication regime, or engaging in the overuse of substance or the inappropriate use of substances. Um, you know, it's important to take one day at a time and just take slow and steady steps. You know, do one thing nice for yourself, one thing that's going to make you feel better. And then the next day, do something else just for you that's gonna make you feel better. I think the point I'm trying to make is that you need to believe you're worth feeling whole again and that your happiness and your ability to stay connected to your purpose is your birthright. I think the bottom line for all of us, and I'm listening to you very clearly, the message is, is that we have to, we have to understand that the nursing profession has to recognize when to ask for help and when to accept it. Um, our self must be focused on self-care and not as caretakers. That's a big order. It isn't in our DNA, Dr. Phyllis, but uh, this has been a great opportunity to listen and learn from you. I hope those who are listening will continue to take advantage of the many tools and resources that you can find within the web pages of the wellbeing initiatives of nursingworld.org backslash the wellbeing initiative. I'm Linda Grove. Thank you. Thank you for listening. We hope you found value in this discussion and you'll join us next time for a nursing state of mind.